from St. Louis Public Radio. This is St. Louis on the Air. And if there are landlords out there, please listen. The idea is to make St. Louis a destination. Um, the sudden invasion that took place in August of 2021. It's not just being resettled by the federal government here, but that they're choosing to move uh, here. Almost 600 families. How is this going to work? This is going to work. It's already working. These people are good people. And, you know, once they get a job, get into the, that four-feet month, they should be able to, to, to handle it. Hi. Um, I just had a question about whether or not the... Um, Afghans were looking for employment. I have a business, um, I have an open position. I'm Sarah Fenske. 594 Afghans have been resettled in St. Louis by the International Institute since the fall of Kabul last August. And last week, the International Institute announced a key milestone. All of them are now out of hotels and into permanent housing. And joining us now to tell us more about it is Aray Obenson. He is the CEO of the International Institute. Aray, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And we're also joined today by Moji Siddiqui. She is the program manager for the Afghan Support Program. That's the extensive effort launched by Arts Grants founder Jerry Schlichter to make St. Louis a destination for Afghan refugees. Moji, welcome back. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here again. So, Aray, I want to start with the housing issue because this was possibly the biggest challenge that you were facing with so many big challenges of, of resettling such a large wave of Afghans. You got your last family into permanent housing last week. How did that feel? <laughs> I think it was worth celebrating. Um, the team has worked incredibly hard to um, just manage these Afghan families in transitional housing. Um, and so it was really worth celebrating. Um, we, we are thrilled that that happened. And um, um, we know, obviously, that um, it, it was challenging for them for all of us, for this community, to have them living in, in hotels, especially uh, the larger families. But when that last family of 10 got permanent housing, we celebrated. Yeah, I mean, a family of 10, I think so many of us right now are dealing with the St. Louis housing market. It's very hard to find housing. Things just get snapped up left and right. Uh, rentals for larger families have always been hard to come by. The challenges of these larger families, were you able to find places that, that are nice and in decent neighborhoods and this is going to be a place that works for them? Well, so the the <clears throat> most m what you can find is typically the the one to two bedroom apartments, mm -hmm. but as the families um, grow larger, you start looking for the three to four bedroom apartments. But when it's ten, twelve, or thirteen, um, apartments can work, and so you have to look for um, single um, uh, family homes to be able to do that because there are also codes where go governed by city codes and federal guidelines on the number of people that you can put in an apartment. Mm -hmm. So for these large families, we've had to go outside sometimes city limits to even find single family homes that we can put them in. So I understand there's a new housing fund. This is something that maybe helps landlords give these refugees a chance. They obviously don't have a long history of, of renting in a place like St. Louis. How does this work? 
Well, it's really important for the community to understand. And if there are landlords out there, please listen to this. Um, I'm an immigrant myself. And coming to the United States from another country, you don't come with a credit history. You don't come with a rental history. And in the cases of the Afghans, you don't come with a job. Uh, and, and, and yet we, want, we expect landlords to, to embrace these people and take them into their homes. Of course, it's challenging for a landlord to do that, right? Because a landlord is, is absolutely in business and we clearly understand that. So we typically have worked with landlords that understand this challenge and have been able to waive some of these requirements to have these families in. But with the housing fund that was created, it gave the landlords the assurance because that's why you go through all of this um, eligibility requirements is you want to ensure that the person coming in can be able to pay the rents. Mm -hmm. And we have a stipend for these families that covers the rents for three months. But of course, what happens on the fourth month or fifth month and sixth month? Yeah. So with this housing fund, it really serves as a guarantee to enable us to have this longer term um, agreements with landlords. And in some cases, we've even taken master leases to be able to allow those families to move into apartments. So you're saying if there's a family that's not able to pay this and, and a landlord has signed a lease with this family, this fund will step up. The International it, Institute can step up. And that way the landlord knows, okay, I, this is this is going to work out okay for me. Yes, there's a fallback to the fund. So I was told that you set up this fund and, and that it's come into use and that you're able to tell landlords about it. But so far, you haven't even had to dip into it. It's just knowing so, that it's there. So far, we haven't had to dip into it. It. But but that is the the key because you just have to reassure landlords that this these people are good people and you know once they get a job get into the, that fourth feet month they should be able to 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 handle it and in the event that there is a a, a failure the fallback can be on, on that fund. So, Moji, listening to R.A. talk about this, um, there's just so many things we don't think of. You know, if you grow up in this country, you kind of take it for granted. You're going to have a credit history. You can point to your past landlord. It all works out just fine. Um, so many issues here for these refugees. How's your sense at this point? How are they doing? How is the... Uh, the refugees who've, who've made their home now here in St. Louis. Yeah, so the housing team works so hard every single day we have a meeting at 9 a.m and we basically go over all the needs of the family because no two families are the same so we want to make sure that not only are they in a safe space but they're also in a neighborhood close by other new refugees so that they have that network Mm -hmm. they're close to transportation they have access to transportation and they have access to grocery shopping uh, it's a it's a network that we're trying to create for these people, and we also want to make sure that they're close by the institute so that they have um, access to the services and the programs that we offer. We like to check up on them regularly, and I have made a lot of personal connections with people who I'm now attached to emotionally, and I love these people, and I love their children, and I see their moms as like my mom or an extension of my family, and when they're not feeling well, I like to make sure I make them soup and drop it off to them and regularly check up on them. The bigger aim of the Institute is to help these people become self-sustaining. As much as we love to offer these programs and services, we want to help them integrate and assimilate into the St. Louis community so that they can get, you know, get into the working scene, um, go into schools, and get their own lives um, 
on the road, mm-hmm. on the and, road to success and self-fulfilling. And that's such a big challenge. And, you know, historically, I guess from the federal government's perspective, the idea is, okay, you've got three months to do this. But part of what's so cool about what's happening in St. Louis right now is this is not just a three-month effort. No, it's not. This is um, this is kind of like a like a family relationship. Now we are tied to these people just like they're tied to us. But the beautiful part about the work that we're doing is it's not just the institute. There are so many other organizations and partners and volunteer families that have come out of the woodwork and they're doing such great work. And without them, we wouldn't be as successful as we have found ourselves. Ara, you really prioritized trying to um, have good relationships with those volunteers. Before you came, I think there was there was maybe some friction between these volunteer groups that wanted to help new refugees and maybe the International Institute's perspective on, on how involved they should be. That involved setting up a command center where there was sort of an organized system of, of how people were going to get what they needed without just being deluged. Um, how has that gone, that new command center? I think it's worked um, exceptionally well. Um, I am Challenges when you bring people together from different organizations, perspectives, being able to understand resettlement in itself comes with a lot of um, a lot of guidelines. But the way that I approached this immediately, I, I realized what was coming at us was to think about this as a community effort uh, and to think about this from the perspective of um, this is not about resettling an Afghan in St. Louis. This is about creating an opportunity for somebody to feel like they're part of this community. Mm -hmm. And how we do that, there is no one organization that has the answers. Um, We have leveraged the support of over 80 organizations in this effort. We we meet um, for a period of time on a weekly basis with this broader coalition of about 80 organizations and uh, on a weekly basis with the command center team that is really made up of organizations that in one way or the other support the work of immigrants within this community. Hmm. All with an understanding that it's not what we say we do that really matters. It's how the Afghans feel in this community and how they feel in this community cannot be decided by what the International Institute says it does. Mm -hmm. But for the, you know, 594 Afghans that have been here, um, I I was out last Saturday at the Eid Festival and just standing back and looking at the faces of families and how comfortable they felt in this community, Mm -hmm. irrespective of what their journey has been and how difficult it has been they were celebrating being in this community. And for me, that's the measurement of success in this Mm -hmm. effort. I'm going to go to the phone lines. Uh, We actually have a caller here who has a question, and I'm sure there's other people listening who may have questions too, or or maybe things they've observed as as St. Louis has dealt with uh, waves of refugees that that have added so Mm -hmm. much to this community. Uh, We're at 314-382-8255. That's 382-TALK. You can also send us a tweet at STL on air. Uh, Christine is calling from Ferguson. Christine, hi, you're on St. Louis on the air. Hi. Um, I just had a question about whether or not the um, Afghans were looking for employment. I have a business. um, I have an open position. um, And I don't know if that's something that that you guys are looking for or how I can get a hold of someone to talk to someone about it. Uh, Christine, thank you for that question. All right. Yeah. Hi, Christine. That's a great question. And that's what we're dealing with. So 
Now that we're done with the housing situation, the next step for the for the Afghans, as Moji said, is really getting their life on the road, and that goes through um, employment. We actually provide help them provide you know career orientation, um, help them understand what the workplace looks like in America, some of the the rights that they have, the rights of the employee and the employer, so that they understand what they're getting into. Now, Christine, under normal circumstances, we usually at a situation where we were chasing employers to 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 have our the people we serve get jobs. Yeah. In the current market, there is a we get so many calls from people like you, Christine, asking for employment. But we have only five hundred and ninety-four Afghans at this point. Um, but the best step to take, Christine, is to go to our website and fill out a job request form, Mm. iistl.org, because with that form, uh, we would see whether the the job opportunities that you have correspond with some of the skill sets that our our um, the Afghans have, and then we can match them with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I cannot say that we have until I kn- until we know exactly what you're offering, mm-hmm. and we from the people that are looking for work now, we have to match those skills with yours. But please, anybody who has job opportunities, reach out to us. We cannot promise that we'll fill them, yeah. but we're taking stock, and you know we still have people coming to St. Louis. Um, as we speak, right? There's yeah. still newcomers are still coming. coming. Yeah. So, so it doesn't end here. Well, Christine, thank you for that call, and I think it's so great that that people understand. Hey, this is um, this is a group of people that would be a terrific, uh, terrific for an employer to connect with. It's interesting that sometimes it takes sort of a boom economy for so many employers <laughs> to be contacting you, like, please help us find workers. But that's a good problem to have, I suppose. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. So one other thing, we were talking about this command center, um, and we'd previously talked on this show to Welcome Neighbor STL. We talked to Madeline Grushka, who's the family support director. And it sounds like there's a little bit of confusion over this consent form that's now being required of volunteers. Um, and that's something that, that she was kind of hoping we could talk to you about today. She says, when we reached out, um, when we asked if we could reach out to the families who are already here who have no volunteer support, the International Institute senior vice president said to wait until 90 days after arrival when they hold their assessment meeting. They'll ask them about then. Madeline says, we're unsure how many families have arrived and have yet to get connected with volunteer support. I think the last I heard it was around 70 families. Uh, She says, quote, they are clearly trying to figure it out, but time is passing and we know families need support. So what's the thinking there with the waiting 90 days? Let me me clarify this. Um, We just spoke about the collaboration and we meet every week and we discuss this. Um, So my understanding is that we've dealt with this. Two things that I want to clarify. Mm Um, in this community, the way that we've set this up, anybody can work with any family. Yeah. Right. From our perspective, because we have federal uh, federal contract, we don't impose. We cannot impose a family to work with another family with an Afghan family. It have to. Be, it has to be that the Afghan family choice. has to yes. make the choice. Do you want to work with them? Mm-hmm. And 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 so that question of 90 days is basically when they come back to the office. And in that point, we ask them, 
do you would you like to be paired with a family? That's sort of the best opportunity. That's the best to opportunity. Say, can can we connect you with yes. this service? But it doesn't mean that you have to wait for ninety days, okay. right? Because there are families that have come and have immediately signed that consent form. But bear in mind, we didn't start this airport right at the beginning in August. Mm-hmm. It's after about a month that we decided, let's form this command center, let's pair these families. Oh, but we need, because of privacy reasons, mm-hmm. we need a consent from, from the families. Because these people, yes, they are coming from Afghanistan, they're coming from a crisis, but they still have the dignity of choice. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. we have to give them that choice. And we can't go to every house with a consent form mm-hmm. to say, do you want to? That's that. Your caseworkers are, are yeah. busy. Yeah. So when they, we that was just a, a miler marker, mm-hmm. but for the families that came after we started this process, because we were having the opportunity upon arrival, we asked, can you? Would you like to be paired with a family and assign those? So. I think that the the, the consent form is it, to me it's mm-hmm. it's it's a distraction. The most important thing is that we have volunteers out there that are going into the homes of these people and supporting them. Mm-hmm. The only difference is that we have not officially paired them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But everything else, access to those people, uh, is they they are part of this community. Yeah. And we've opened the doors to every organization that wants to be part of this effort. The people who are providing food, who provided food in the hotel for many, many months, didn't need a consent form. The people who are taking people to social security office, bringing them to our office, they don't need a consent form. Mm-hmm. The only thing you need a consent form is just to ensure that this, because once you have that consent form, then you have access to privacy information, mm-hmm. and that's really important. But anybody, anybody has we've opened up Anybody can have access to those families and, and walk with them as part of this community. But to go into the into the details, we really need to give these people the dignity of choice. Mm-hmm. I think so, it's also it's also it's, privacy is very important, but safety is also just as much of a priority for us because we feel responsible mm-hmm. for these people. Um, I know my friend Chrissy, she, her and I became friends because she posted on an Afghan Facebook page, this is before we had ever met, saying, I have some Afghan neighbors, but they don't speak English. Can someone please translate for me? So I private messaged her, went and stopped by her house, and turns out she has one of the families that come to the Institute on the regular and she, you know, took it upon herself to become her, their voluntary family without any consent form being involved because they are literally neighbors. Yeah. Like Array always likes to say, these people are your neighbors too. Mm -hmm. And they are, they're literally your neighbors. So, um, Chrissy and I ended up becoming friends because her level of compassion is so high and the things that she does for her neighbors from taking them to the zoo taking them to the aquarium taking them uh to dentist appointments all completely on her own and she's never filled out a consent form though i asked her to do it just so that we can um keep a log of everybody who's volunteering and helping um our newcomers Mm -hmm. uh but yeah these are these are our neighbors if you this is as simple as friendship (laughs) exactly that's exactly what it is it's friendship into family um, this is a St. Louis. This is the St. Louis we're trying to create mm-hmm. and get people to recognize each other as humans and love each other. And then whatever blessings that you have, be willing to share it because as these 
refugees and immigrants assimilate and integrate into this community, they too will give back. Moji, as you talk about the St. Louis we're trying to create, I think that's a perfect opportunity to just tell us a little bit more about this initiative that you're now working on full time. Um, The idea is to make St. Louis a destination for refugees, not just being resettled by the federal government here, but that they're choosing to move here. How is this going to work? This is going to work. It's already working. We're working very hard uh, to ensure that uh, we make St. Louis an inclusive space for everybody and uh, creating bridges and the gaps and spaces of people who are already here and opening communication. It all starts with dialogue, opening communication and talking about the things that we are, we've basically been um, closing up and putting in a shelf. St. Louis is a beautiful space. You know, Array always says, why St. Louis? For so many reasons. Mm -hmm. And our population has dropped dramatically. But with the work that we're doing by making this place so inclusive and opening the hearts of people in this influx of organizations who have stepped up and statistics show that 84% of Americans are excited about receiving Afghans. Mm -hmm. And these numbers are dramatic considering the numbers that that we're showing before uh, the invasion took place. And in the future, we're going to be seeing Ukrainians come in. So we're basically setting the stones for greater St. Louis. It start. It basically started with Array coming in to the Institute as the new president. And then with the invasion, um, the sudden invasion that took place in August of 2021 and the uh, almost 600 families, 600 Afghans that mm-hmm. have come here. The Afghan support program is a pilot program um, that has initialized, and it's going to be almost a um, stepping stone into the greater program, the greater community support program that we're creating. We can't do it alone. Um, It has so many parts to it from um, giving access to technology, uh, 200 free iPads to 200 families, um, devices that enable the family to have unlimited Internet to up to 10 devices. This is a big deal, giving access uh, from the housing team, starting an Afghan Chamber of Commerce. We've also started, just this last week, we started a 12-week coding class mm. for through Claim Academy, uh, through the Afghan Support Program, uh, so that we can get 10 Afghans to become software developers, put them in a career space mm-hmm. where they're going to have jobs that's going to put them... Um, in a financial uh, financial freedom space. We also have uh, 10 entrepreneurship grants for people who want to start up a business, you know, giving them $15,000 to start up a business. And these are just some of the things to name inside the program that we're working on, incentivizing why coming to St. Louis, more than just why St. Louis is great, but giving them a reason to come here, and more importantly, a reason to stay Absolutely, here. yeah. So, all right, hearing about all this, it's so exciting to hear about. Um, and Moji said, this is already working. Are you seeing people who maybe were resettled in a different city? They're saying, hey, St. Louis has has opportunities here. I want to move my family to St. Louis. We've seen some of that already beginning to happen. We are getting calls and getting people connect with me on LinkedIn and, and Facebook to say, well, you know, I would like to move to St. Louis. So I want to change my uh, transfer to, to St. Louis. The big movement hasn't happened yet, mm-hmm. but I think that we're on the on the on the path to that. Um, and then compared to 
to what is happening in other cities. What we're doing in St. Louis is unprecedented, um, that we're going beyond just resettlement mm-hmm. to actually creating an environment that is welcoming for these families. We know um, that immigrants typically go to where other immigrants are, and they would go to where those immigrants feel comfortable. And I think what we're going to do here with the Afghans this story is going to be told about what we are doing and how they are feeling. And eventually we're going to see, uh, I believe, a huge movement uh, towards St. Louis. Well, it's, it's very exciting to hear about, and I know you'll keep us updated as these projects continue. R.A. Obenson, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having us. And R.A. is the CEO of the International Institute, Moji Siddiqui. Thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having us. And Moji is program manager for the Afghan Support Program. This episode was produced by Kayla Drake with audio engineering by Aaron Doerr. Our production intern is Avery Rogers. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thanks. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from the Missouri Forest Products Association. Missouri produces wood pallets, railroad ties, white oak barrels, hardwood floors, and more. Details on the variety of products made in the state are at ChooseWood.com.